Let's open with a chant. Om Hari Om Om Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yam Karavavai Tejasvi Navadi Tamastu Madhidvishavahai Om Shanti 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 May Brahman protect us, may he guide us, may he give us strength and right understanding. May love and harmony be with us all. Peace, peace, peace. Cat Stevens, a devout Muslim, for that call to prayer and praise. Good morning, good morning. A new day is dawning, a new day is dawning for you.
Well, good morning, good morning. A new day is dawning. A new day is dawning. It's true. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. On the wings of the morning, fly home. On the wings of the morning, hope is rising. Your love and light prevail. We will rise, rise. On the wings of the morning, there is hope, hope in the hands that have made us. Hope is rising on the wings of the morning. Hope is rising from the hands that have made us. I do feel there's an awakening. There's an awakening these days. I asked our mountain of a man, Swami Sri Dharanan, who's down there in Melbourne, Australia, awaiting you all to come at the end of December, the beginning of December of next year, to the next parliament of the world's religions. And you know, you ask these Swami's questions at one level, and like Einstein says, as Einstein, he says, you can't quite answer them at the level of logic at which you pose the question. So I asked him one day in there, I said, oh, Swami, what's going to happen to our old world? What about our old world? And he looked up after a minute and said, well, he said, the religions of the world are coming together. There will be an incredible energy, is what he's telling us. Can we believe it? Well, I think there is an awakening within each of the great rivers of faith. There's a stirring in the soul of the participants, the real devotees, the real seekers and finders within these vast traditions, all of God's children. And this is what's happening. This is transforming, transforming the world culture. It's transforming the world. St. Anselm of Canterbury, very amazing man, very amazing man. He said, speaking of the birth of Jesus, that Jesus can be born a thousand times in Bethlehem until he's born in your own heart of what avail. And our Swami Prabhupada found this place. I remember every Christmas Eve after he sang the carols, he'd come and he'd say that on his way out. Anselm, the founder, you could say, of scholasticism that a couple of hundred years later had raised this incredible edifice of towering heights and soaring inspiration, just like the cathedrals which symbolize it, you see. As you climb visually or in actual steps, in steps to the steeple or bell tower. So which will it be? You know, in Sunday school, we used to sing, and you have to, this is the evangelical wing of the Vedanta Society. If you want the Presbyterian Church, I can show you that. We're surrounded. We're close to churches and schools, my friend. So this is what we used to sing in Sunday school. See, the Baptists are not that funny. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to do cartoons of them, just like some presidents and one. But they have a great sense of humor. It's just that they tried to follow the manliness of Jesus, and so they're a little staid. The Methodists dance and sing a whole lot more. But this is the song that we used to sing in Sunday school, Baptist Sunday school. Baptist, Baptist is my name, Baptist till I die. I was baptized in the Baptist church, going to sit on the Baptist side. Now, isn't that a great triumph? Great tribulation, sitting on the Baptist side. 
Catholic, Catholic is my name, Catholic till I die. I was baptized in the Catholic Church, going to sit on the Catholic side. Isn't that a great triumph? Trib tribulation, sitting on the Catholic side. Hebrew, Hebrew is my name, Hebrew till I die. I was baptized in the Hebrew Church, going to sit on the Hebrew side. Now isn't that a great triumph? Trib tribulation, sitting on the Hebrew side. Atheist, atheist is my name, atheist till I die. I was baptized in the atheist church, going to sit on the atheist side. Isn't that a great triumph? Trib tribulation, sitting on the atheist side. They used to tell this story. It's really not a Baptist story, but you have to bring in the source of the sheaves, wherever you can find them, because, you know, the Baptists really do separate fairly relatively peacefully. The last count I heard into 400 separate denominations. But one fellow came up to the other one and he said, um, said, you religious? He said, yes, yes, I, I, I reckon I am. He says, uh, you know, uh, I believe in God. He says, well, um, he said, uh, are you uh, a, a Christian or, or some other kind of faith? He said, well, he said, I, I, I am a Christian. He says, oh, he says, well, he says, well, he says, you say, are you uh, a Catholic then or a Protestant? He said, I'm a Protestant. He said, well, well, well you say you're a Protestant. Now, now, what kind of a Protestant are you? <laughs> he said, I'm a Baptist. Said, oh, so am I, so am I, so am I. And he said, do you believe in the convention of 1825 <laughs> or 1815? <laughs> he said, 1815. He said, heretic, heretic, heretic. <laughs> it all started out, my friends, they say. I love stories, don't you? Storytelling. In Eden. It started out in Eden. They say the wonderful phrase of a book sometime, east of Eden. But what we do know is that the Bible says that Eden is east of the land of Israel. And it was probably, that is to say, one can wonder, uh, a real place, a real geographical location in the minds of the traveling people of God. I personally have a feeling, uh, you know, I come from that kind of school, modern anthropology, and all that was possibly in southeastern Persia. Now, it, it had the sense of the garden, the golden age, which so many cultures speak of. But only in the Israelite account is the emergent consciousness, evolutionary, if you will, of humanity in Eden. There was in Shumer, that great pervading country and empire going way, way back, a development from nature, thinking of God in those ways, to the state, in religion, to a personal and individual relationship to God. It's a very interesting thing, you know, they speak of Father Abraham as speaking, as coming, as they say, from Ur, in the land of the Chaldees. You ever wonder about that? I've wondered about it over a lifetime. It seems that Father Abraham, and this is one point of view, everyone has her own and his own, was bringing into the world, slowly and surely, and the people who were on the move, literally, physically, mostly, symbolically, spiritually, the idea that, yes, we are among many peoples. Joshua said to the descendants, of the people that came from the east. He said, in those days, they worshiped other gods. So it looks to me as if probably the first concept, the word is henotheism, I like it a lot, that Abraham may have had to deal with was what to do 
with this multitude of gods in this uh, pretty cosmopolitan part of the world, which was Shumer. So the first meaning of Hinduism is the worship of a particular god, as by a family or tribe, without disbelieving in the existence of others, don't you see? And then another development, as the heart is full, as the encounter is real, as the personal responsibility, the commitment, and yes, to the command, the two-way street of God and the human, comes the ascription of supreme divine attributes to whichever of several gods is addressed at the time. And that, of course, is paving the way for universality. <laughs> because don't you see, God doesn't change. Huh? Can you handle that? It's we who have different ideas about him, or it, or the Supreme Spirit, or the one, from time to time as the ages roll. Now, Ur was an established place. It was quite cosmopolitan with a magnificent temple, a step tower. The largest one of them is, was, is today 80 feet tall, and they figured that's less than half as tall as it was then. At its original height, the best preserved is at Ur. It's said that the sloping sides and terraces of these temples were often landscaped with trees and shrubs. I've seen it in a building right here on, uh, on uh, Yucca Street. They, they have a balcony and they plant trees in it. And of course, hence the name the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Now I'm going to have a little fun with y'all because you know that's what we're here for today. I'm going to distribute, just in case you thought that Abraham came out of some kind of a, say, primitive past or early stage of pre-agricultural stage of humanity. Anthony, would you make sure that on each side of the aisle, people get these pictures and then hand them back to me if you don't mind. This is the temple that was built at the time that Abraham lived in the city of Shumer. And you see the Chaldeans which in the Hebrew are the Kassidim, the Kaldu people, according to the Assyrians. These are the Semitic people who live near the Sea of Kaldu in this empire. And at one time, the Arameans, who are very, very close kin, uh, and uh, from whom, incidentally, we have to thank for our, our, uh, our alphabet, though it uh, transmogrified some. Do you know what A is? Actually, it's very interesting. Aleph, Beth, the alphabet. A, if you turn it upside down, is a bull. Can you see that with the horns? So these Arameans, who the Aramaic language, when they conquered into Sumer and all, was spread all over the Near East. And they gave their writing to the Hebrews, their cousins. And they also, believe it or not, my friends, created a script which in India is called Brahmi, which became the basis for Devanagari. Now, you don't have to believe me. Just look it up in Webster. <laughs> so a lot was going on back then. What an interrelation there was, my friends, in the old world. They weren't just living there for thousands of years without, without knowing of each other. The, the language, thoughts, ideas, all the way to India. The Westerners, you know, didn't have to discover India, they just had to find it. Columbus, when he was heading around the world going, you know, west to go east, when he got to Venezuela, he figured, you know, I'm pretty far east now. He thought that Hispaniola was Japan. He never knew he wasn't in Asia until the end of his life, but he got to Venezuela. He thought it was the land of Eden. Don't you see coming around that way? Pretty soon he's going to get east of Israel. The remains from this third dynasty of the Ur people, actually the first time, tremendous wealth, my friends, jewels in the temple, in the places where the kings were, uh, treasures in gold, silver, bronze, semi-precious stones. And you've seen some of their things. I saw my first head from Shumer in the Louvre. Beautiful thing. Showing, as it says in the Britannica, not only the wealth, of the people of Ur, but also their highly developed civilization and 
art. Well, along sometime after 2000 BC, Abraham is called. He's called by God. His father was called to lead the new nation and to find with his own country and people journeying to an undesignated land, a land where he will become the founder of a new people, a new community, a new fellowship, and a new nation. Um, it's, pretty, it's pretty well, what can I say, supported archaeologically in terms of scholarship that Abraham came with cattle, came with people, and wandered where the food was best for his whole life. That is to say, he never settled down uh, himself and became a farmer. However, the Spirit of God growing in him, God, the everlasting one, El Olam, El Yon, God Most High, El Shaddai, God, the one of the mountains. These are the terms that he would be using. And El Roy, God of vision. In short, this marvelous man, André, André Pajot, who was the head of the Louvre, is saying, speaking of Abraham, in short, the God of Abraham possessed duration, transcendence, power, and knowledge from those names. The worship of one among many gods with the basis laid for this true universalism. He was a personal God, too, with direct relations with the individual, but also a family God. Here, truly, as it was becoming a part of the heart, the environment of the heart of a hitherto wandering people became the essence of the grand story of Judaism down all these years. Here truly was the God of our fathers, who in course of time was to become the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason I wanted to hand those out was I really wanted to make an impression on you. The temple that was there when Abram left town. There could also be, in examining prehistoric roots, someday a discussion we could have on how the preeminent early view of the Sky Father soon to become transcendent. And the Earth Mother, which perseveres to this day in the American Indian sacred orientation, the Earth Mother soon to become the mother of the universe, the E, in E equals MC square, or the relevant plane, the relative plane. God is mother, transformed, transformed in our Indo-European heritage through Sanskrit, Dios Pitar, the Sky Father, Jesus Pater, see, Jupiter, Tuesday, and how the daughter of light, or the dawn, became, became Ushas Ishtar, star, Easter, Esther. Our Semitic heritage, our Indo-European heritage, and someday we could talk about our Greek heritage, forming the global civilization, the three great mountains which have made us, in Swami Vivekananda's words, Sinai, Olympus, and the Himalayas. Now, you might like to know who's in that temple, just as we're passing out of the land of Ur. It was, if we can be very careful about our words here and slice them very carefully, it was the divine seen in, apprehended in, the feeling that one has when one looks up at the night sky and sees the moon. My friends, I want to talk a little bit about how we came to be who we are, what we are today. Because I see, I really do, I believe in it. 
Each person has, I'm very sure of her own experience associations, like ground of experience, a, a, a foundation, a base of experience from which she looks at the world and says, this is the way I, I see it. This is the way I see it today. I believe we're in for an era change. The Pharaoh built himself an economic pyramid before he built the pyramids. The farmers were all growing wheat, whatever it was, grain. And out of the economic surplus, that amount which the farmer grew, in addition to what he needed to feed his family, here comes the pharaoh's men. Kind of a, a, kind of a priestly government, you understand. Here's the pharaoh. He's, he's pretty well in with the <laughs> spiritual powers that be, the sun, whatever. Remember, nature worship to begin with. And he sends his men. The, the priestly class is probably ruling, and they send their men. Today we call them tax collectors, and they took what they could of the farmer's economic surplus to build a pyramidal state. And that was the beginning, I submit, not the first by any means, but that kind of thing, of what we call civilization. Civilization, you know, goes back to the Latin civitas, which means city. And along with all the blessings of civilization, all that, I happen to think that one of the children that was born at that time, by virtue of it, was poverty. Now, I know people in the state of nature, they can be pretty hungry sometimes, but I don't call them poor. And the whole idea of organized warfare came rather, rather late in all these thousands of years that we were romping around wherever we were. Well, maybe the third millennium BC, these city-states, these great states began to have organized warfare and uh, various things like that. So, as always, you get a little bit of the goods, a little bit of the syrup, and a little bit of the sour, sweet and sour sauce. The Chinese figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> However, where we are seems to be at one of the geological levels of this march towards civilization. Now, I'm going to impose on you, and if you don't like it, I, I understand. Just, just have a little fun here with what the Indians did with this sociological arrangement. They have the idea that there are great eras of time. The Jews have this fantastic idea that the sweep of mankind's history on the face of the planet, the very sweep of our life, is the sweep of God's hand in history across the sky. Well, the Indians been around for hundreds and thousands of years thinking about things cyclically. They all think cyclically in the first instance. And they said, you know, maybe, maybe the first way that things came along was that the wise men ruled, the priests, we'll say, the religious people, hopefully spiritual, doesn't always go together. And after that was done, the barons, met with King John in 1215 in England and said, John, you keep running, going back over to France, trying to get the territories back, hold on to them. Every time you levy these tax burdens on us, we can't stand it, we can't hand it, handle it, it's over. You're going to have to see us first and, and get us to agree. That was the beginning of Parliament. So the kings came in and had their time. And then, according to the Indian view, there will be a time they predict in the cycle of eons of, of human life when the merchants will come in. And I submit to you that's the time we've been living in. You know, it's not to say that we just don't have those things in America because it looks kind of like there are some such people running around. We call it class if we use that word at all. Plato had the same groups, incidentally. But we have our professionals, if you will. And we then have the military and government workers, bureaucracy. And with the combination of the farmers and the, the, the energy, don't you see, of the, of the military man, the man of action, the man of, and woman of, of government, we have, we have people like the businessmen coming along in their desire for assimilation with some of those same traits 
that we learned in the military age. Acquisition, assimilation, avidity. Avidity in the first sense means only eagerness, enthusiasm, dedication, but now it devolves, and perhaps has devolved, that's your judgment, into the last definition, greediness. Avariciousness is that which is characterized by insatiable greed for riches, covetousness. Many of these words share the same sense of desiring to possess, it said, more of something than one already has or might in normal circumstances be entitled to. You see, the businessmen had a wonderful route. They built the railroads, this very symbol of the age of heavy industry and big business. The Golden Spike in Utah, late 1869. And they built wonderful things. And Swami Vivekananda, who looks kind of with a smile, like a philosopher, says, you know, those people who tried to put it on a spiritual basis, and of course that we tried as recently as the Puritans in Massachusetts, right? After a while, it kind of got, kind of got to be kind of tired, you know, kind of like the old hat. Little oppression came in here. Originally, it's just supposed to be whether that's your feeling inside. In other words, if you were a member of this group, you couldn't inherit it. You had to earn it. But anyway, it got a little oppressive, so the military men took over. The wonderful thing. And then they got a little bit overweening, self centered. And what was supposed to be a divine calling of service became. Again, an attempt to get it all for me. The businessmen had an idea that all they needed was leave me alone. That's the meaning of laissez-faire. But they reckoned without greed, as our brother Greenspan admitted the other day, the champion of the business class. And they reckoned without progeny, the curse of the ignorance and poverty of the lower class, the working man, the farmer laborer, as they say in Wisconsin, is not the only cause of poverty. Not the only one. You probably know that work is the curse of the drinking class. But it's the main one. So in the new day that's coming, I think we have to address some of these problems. I have a feeling that as we move into a new era, we're going to have to take, to, to take note of some rather signal things that need to be changed if we're going to see ourselves survive as a species. Men. Our, uh, our president-elect is kind of a preacher president, you know, I figure. And he was trying to call all men to a sense of responsibility in bringing progeny into the world. He was rather bitterly uh, opposed in trying to say something like this, but he was talking, my friends, to black men and so-called white men, Latinos. And incidentally, I suggest in this new age, you don't have to agree with me, that we, we change a phrase, single mother, which has deserved respect, and call it unwed mother, and actually change that, the emphasis, into unwed father. But it doesn't stop there. Asian men, though they may be married, Indians, Chinese, Indonesians, and some Arab men, obviously this is not everyone, but men, all men have to think about this. It's their responsibility. It's kind of like a God-given responsibility. Arab men who, there's a fellow named Quigley, he talks about the Pakistani-Peruvian axis <laughs> because the Moors went into Spain, in which some mothers seem to be coddling their sons as princes, and telling them the whole world and everything in it is theirs to do with what they will. 
So I'm saying in the new day, no more unwanted babies, unplanned, uncared for. That's what the right to life means. Women of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains. So let's replace euphemisms with realities. Every woman has the spirit of God within as surely as Mary had Jesus. The season of joy and peace, what humanity wants most is upon us again. The hoped for, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen, the evidence of things unseen, like music, the advent of these things longed for. Inequality for women in marriage, intellectually, economically, and most important, in society, in that their voices will be heard in society. Inequality is one thing that we may not bring in to the new age. This must not be carried over into the new millennium. It will not. It cannot stand. The young, new Aquarians won't allow it, will not bring it forward. You see, I see mother and society saying, time out. You fellows go to the corners. Whether war or this injustice or that injustice in the whole culture, go sit in the corner and be quiet. And the Swamis in India are saying that our survival depends upon the feminization of the planet. I happen to think this is one of the big postulates of the New Day. So you see, I have a feeling that we're going to have to look at all of the problems that we face, whether it's crime, environmentalism, and incidentally, it looks to me as if, I learned this from some of you all in the room here, we were together at the time, that there must be an individual commitment for the environment. Even in tiny ways, like turning off the lights, you know, and things like that. And a belief that like great scales, the tipping effect is upon us and will come. We have to have that faith with John Lennon. We have to do our part. We really have to act, not just theorize, and then feel that the day is coming with the tipping point. You see, the idea in Eden is religion somehow. And religion goes back again to that marvelous, you know, the grandmother tongue, Latin, Religio, to tie, you know, like a ligature, to tie again, to relink. It's like our word yoke, related to an Indian word, yoga. We must reunite again with the familiarity, the intimacy, yea, the oneness with God. We're looking forward in this new day to a new Adam. Now the Christians may be understand, understandingly see that they see in Jesus a new Adam with the ideal of the Greek, strong mind and a strong body, plus heart, plus the emotions. And most of all, in our new day, spirit. So the new day, my friend, the new days are coming. There's going to be a great day. However, there's always a catch. The opportunity will be there. What is this new day? Is democracy come full circle? Do you see? It's the sovereignty of the people. Now they're going to get their chance. And no less a luminary and a friend of the U.S., Swami Vivekananda. Oh, he waxed glorious. He waxed so fulsome about it one day and all more with some Western disciples. He said, I see the future of this in America where democracy will finally come 
to be with every person. He said, what I want to see is every working person become a professional, become a professor, professing the spirit from an inner experience. What he said was, I, my goal is to see every shooter become a Brahmin. This is revolutionary stuff. No organized oppression, no war, no poverty, a subject worth great study. This idea of studying war no more. But still, don't you see, we will have to wrestle with egocentricity. Still, don't you see, we will have to, in the day when we have started having things on an entirely different basis, for example, production for use, imagine that, instead of for profit. There's plenty of things to do. There's plenty of resources which to do them. Our priorities are wrong. With profit, you say, well, you can't end this thing and you can't take these trinkets off the table because what will these people do? You'd be taking their jobs away from them. Well, supposing we started saying as a people, because it's your day now, it's your society and yours to make, what do you want? What do we want? Well, how about a few more homes? How about better food, abundant food? How about medical care? This is what I submit the people will be wanting and saying. They have more free time. How about that? Because there'll be plenty of production, and the opportunity will be there. It's not just one class against another. It's not taking a pie, a shrinking pie, and dividing it into ever more slices. It's changing the whole orientation of production. The golden age, the state of nature. Now, I know that it wasn't that easy. But still in all, these cultures all look back to a day when what you had to do was basically provide for yourself and your family. Now, in some parts of the world, uh, it looks to us as all we have to do is just roll over and catch fish. I'm not sure that Arnold Toynbee is going to say that that's exactly the way that we got to be, you know, civilized, the great civilizations of the world, because he thought struggle was a factor. I heard him once down here at the Congregational Church on Occidentally. Wonderful. He was crystalline like Buckminster Fuller. And he said that if it's too easy, you don't make much progress. If it's too cold, like the Eskimos, well, you stay in your igloo most of the time. Think about when it gets warm again. It's the people in the middle that have to think about how we're going to continue to survive. And incidentally, you know, have you ever heard of the, you don't know about the Bible Belt? Well, my folks came from the Corn and Hog Belt, which is right above the Bible Belt, and I've decided that there's an Avatar Belt, my friends, just a little bit, <laughs> talk about Eden, just a little bit north of the equator, because all of these superluminaries seem to come from warm climes, from warm climes. Swami Prabhupada says that, in his view, the new day will love and cherish each other's point of view of faith. The rivers of faith and your own personal point of view. Because if the spirituality in the superluminary, let's say, Jesus, is real, then whatever degree of spirituality is in Krishna and Buddha is real, too. And that all of these people following their separate paths one day we'll end up in glory in the same place in a shining existence, knowledge, bliss, infinite which will make people realize as they get closer and closer that spiritually we are all one and we must rejoice in our differences. You know, talk about this president-elect trying not to get down into any sociological realm but uh, he, he went over... He just happened to drop by Berlin a little while back one day, and, you know, a couple hundred thousand people showed up to see him. And he said, in effect, he said, I'm a world citizen, which translates roughly out to Ich bin ein Weltbürger, you know? Now, Kennedy got all tangled up in his feet with that thing. You know, he said, Ich bin ein Berliner. Well, well he didn't quite understand that what he was. It's kind of like a fellow trying to say, I'm a man from Hamburg, you know? And so he goes over to Germany and says, I'm a hamburger. You know? 
So what Kennedy evidently said was, I'm a jelly roll or something, somewhere between a Danish pastry and a French croissant. But ich bin ein Weltburger. Are you ready, my friends, to step up into the day of the people, all the people, high, low, all the things we do for God, all the things that God does in us and through us, and say, I'm one with the family of man. I really feel we have just joined the family of man. Are we willing to say that the problem of too many babies and not enough food in one part of the world is my problem. I'm not so keen on raising another man's babies, frankly, if you ask me what I had planned to do with my money. But once they're here, and once education and the women's strength comes into this new day, in this new world, we will treat each other's babies as our own. So, when he gets over there and talks this way, kind of makes us a little antsy, don't it? What's he going to say when he gets back here? But anyway, we are all called because something new is emerging. Something greater seems to be emerging. The empowerment of the people. And no more can we say, you know, what we want from the government. We've got to say what we are going to make of our country, which is now our, our, our own society. How we're going to spend our priorities, how we're going to raise our children, how we're going to give the idealism, which was called the last best hope of mankind. Even Lincoln had that view that the United States still has a role, had a role to play in this glorious unfolding drama of the sweep of the hand of God, like meteors, like the very Milky Way itself across the heavens. You know, I kind of like to either ask yourselves because there's a reason for me bringing this up. What have we been doing? What's been happening the last 2,000 years in all these great rivers of faith? Is it all in the old books and that's where it is? And who's doing it? Well, just to mention a few how about, how about Baal Shem Tov, an incendiary illumined saint who preferred to live in the woods and when he came out was a shining soul? How about Rumi and Hafez? Do you know, I'm talking to the family now, the, the AFL-CIO, do you know Vedanta, that Sri Ramakrishna, when he followed the path of Islam, went to a mystical teacher, a Sufi teacher, and his favorite was Hafez. I think the angelic choirs are descending for him. <laughs> How about George Fox? Sitting just a short time ago, just, just a, a little bit of a couple hundred years, Sufi, illumined on a haystack in England. How about Abraham Heschel? in the modern day, of, of whom some thought he might be the rabbi of the age. And his daughter, Susan, who says, well, we speak about Mother Earth, but I'm not so sure about that term. How are we treating her? And how about Howard Thurman? An authentic, living, in our time, American mystic, and since we mentioned the Baptists, just in case you think they don't do anything except, you know, pull the kid around, how about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Harry Emerson Fosdick? I mention that because, my friends, there are people who are following in their footsteps with us today. We're graced to welcome members of the Parliament for the World Religions Committee for Southern California, preparing for Melbourne 2009. I'm going to buy you all the piggy bank. <laughs> Whoever wants a piggy bank, I'm serious, you, break me, break the bank. Whoever wants a piggy bank, come to me because we have to go. We have to support.
Vedanta, particularly because we love this idea so much, and be there with these people. And after we were through here, we'll go into the greenhouse living room, and these dear people will have a guided discussion, pick up with it where we leave off. So I have a feeling that the days of dancing in the streets are still ahead. And yet we should know that this age of every man and woman is not the end. We must go back to the garden, but not back, forward. The stirring of the soul, we mentioned earlier, the stirring within in the great rivers of faith are leading us to this day in which, for example, uh, the great disciple of Carl Jung, his name was Neumann in Switzerland, Switzerland, yeah, Schweizerman. He said the new human being, the scientific name of the new, new human being, will be Homo mysticus. <laughs> and Vivekananda sees people like this walking down every street of every town in the world. When we finally get our population in balance with the food supply, the equation for survival, when we finally study war no more. It's coming up Hanukkah time, Christmas time, all kinds of time. Let me just break out one more time because I've told you where I come from. You see some of our folks here this morning, they, they're coming in from Ur in the land of the Chaldees. Well, I'm coming in from Kentucky, speaking of the ancestors. <clears throat> I want to walk with the Prince of Peace. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, oh, down by the riverside, I want to walk with the Prince of Peace, down by the riverside, and study war no more. Come on, let him hear it upstairs. I want to study war no more, I ain't going to study war no more, I ain't going to study war no more. Study wall no more, I ain't gonna study wall no more, I ain't gonna study wall no more, ain't gonna study wall no more. Well, I wanna shake hands with every man down by the riverside, down by the riverside, oh, down by the riverside, I wanna shake hands with every man down by the riverside. I study him all no more. Well, she's got the whole world in her hand. She got the whole world in her hand. She got the whole world in her hand. She got the whole world in her hands. When we walk, when we walk in balance with Sun Bear on the Earth Mother, and as one of our friends here says, now every time I leave the kitchen, walk, my son in the sandals of love. There will still be more. With the increased environment for opportunity, people striving to overcome the egocentricity with the greed, anger, and procreativity which have ruined our beautiful world today. And to this day, we all, and the saints for sure, look forward for happiness that will not be curtailed by life's end for immortality that will seem to be our very existence, and for the wisdom that will be the completion of our search for the one in love and light and joy. That is our goal of society. And then only will we say, the golden age has come. You can see, please come the ushers, yes. You can see a symphony of love all around. I lived for a long time in illusion. I've been there a long, 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 long time in the city 
of materiality of many, many businessmen. But now I see in the garden of my souls, but now I see in the garden of my soul many flowers, so many flowers in the garden of my soul. See what's happened? We're going to hear it one more time because I don't know how to skip it. Then stay with me a little. Turkey won't get cold. This is the beginning and the end, my friends. The whole sweep of human history. Am I right? The whole sweep of our spiritual evolution. This is Eden. Fresh from the world. when we were in the arms of God, don't you see? Do we not want to return there? Sprung in completeness when his feet pass. playing with you in those days. Krishna and the gopis, Adam and Eve. Turn to the new Eden. You can see a symphony of love all around. I lived for a long time in illusion, but now I see in the garden of my soul many flowers, many, many flowers in the garden of my soul, so many. God bless us all. I really feel the communion this morning. Thank you for coming. Jana. Ma. It will not be without pain. The birth of this new age. Every era has this. Is that not what was called the Civil War, which we talked about? Arjuna, that kind of thing. The Civil War was called the rebellion of the earth against the age of steam as the railroad rolled in with its, I say, its promise of the new day of this business, wonderful culture. Well, remember the stirring of the interfaith movement in which no one is lessened, but everybody is replete and fuller and goes back to his own congregation, glows in the dark, shines. (laughs) We don't have to wait This is the good news, the secret, my friends, for the golden age. 
with the stirring of the inner vision, it is now. All those called as Abraham was called to the country of the Spirit may claim it as their own. It is now. It is here. It is yours to make it what you will. And now may the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Peace, peace, peace.